3: Steve, one of uh, our last half hour on the radio show today consisted of a full and frank conversation about urinary tract infections followed by some incredibly hardcore premiership football chat. So I think we should be quite pleased with ourselves for that. Because I'm going to say to you, I don't think many shows would have had that amount, that certain variety.
0: No, and also I think the conviction which we showed in both of those interviews to the subject matter, to absolutely getting to the heart of it all and interspersed with some vague references about teeth, which for some reason we became obsessed with today. Real teeth, fake teeth. And it's because, I don't think you'd mind us saying this, Fat Tony, the DJ, uh, who is on our programme on next week, thanks Eve, uh, he has got the most delightful set of teeth. But that's and Glorious. Be- it's
3: because his uh, his drug addiction spiralled out of control to such an extent. He only had one left. And he only had one tooth left. And he does say, I have to say, I mean, there are memoirs and there are memoirs, and Fat Tony, the DJ's memoir, uh, I Don't Take Requests, that's what it's called, yeah. isn't it, um, is, is one of those absolutely, I think, searingly honest would be one way of describing it. Um, but I did love the endorsement on the back from Messrs John and Furnish, who just say, yeah, Tony, you're a tosser, but we love you. Which I think is a wonderful thing to say about a chum. (laughs) And I'd I'd like to offer that endorsement to to anybody I know. He's a
0: really interesting character, Fat Tony, because also he does say, doesn't he, that Boy George, uh, that he annoyed Boy George so much Mm that Boy George basically banned him from his space, but then they became very good friends, friends Yes, I in think they, the end.
3: They've fallen in and out of friends quite a few times over the years. But
0: have you ever banned anyone from your space? Not yet.
3: <laughs> but watch this oh, space. Oh, don't be mean. Um, we just need to shout out, shout out to our celebrity DJ chum, we've already mentioned Fat Tony, Ian Dale. Now, he doesn't work
0: for this organisation, but he's done his hip in. He has, hasn't he? And he's had a really bad uh, run of it because he fell off a stage, didn't he? And really, really hurt his ankle uh, when he was on tour with a rival podcast. Uh, So we do wish him well. And I know that he absolutely hates it because he listens to this podcast when I sing. So I'm just going to sing at the end, Ian, just to let you know. Or actually, I may burst into song. Just for him? At any given moment, yeah. Okay. Oh, well, no.
3: Seriously, Ian, get well soon. I know he's had a hip replacement, so um, it's not the easiest operation to get over. So, best of luck, and let's see you soon. Okay, do you know that's done it
0: very much. So, yeah. do you have any other celebrities in your locker that you'd like uh, to do a shout out to no, today? No, I don't know anybody else who's currently
3: in hospital having had an emergency hip replacement. And thank goodness I don't, by the way, because it's no small fry.
0: Mm. Uh, we started something yesterday because I was adamant that a tabard was the same as a house coat. And I have been put right on Twitter, Jane, Good. by many people uh, who've sent in... Uh, actually, people have sent in the same picture of a group of ladies in their floral housecoats. It's quite a terrifying picture, actually. Uh, Jane is Jane Garvey1 on Twitter. I'm Fifi Glover. Uh, you can have a look at them there. Uh, but people have ended up saying the tabard... It's definitely the thing that you put over your head. Mm. I thought a tabard could be the same as a housecoat. It just didn't have sleeves. Stay with us. We get to other stuff in the podcast. Uh, It's then left people wondering what the difference is between a housecoat and a dressing gown. Helen, in particular, would like some clarification.
3: Well, a dressing gown is a much cosier item, although I was only having that conversation with myself this morning. Is it time to shift to the summer dressing gown?
0: What kind of weight, what kind of tog is your
3: summer dressing gown? My summer dressing is a very flimsy garment.
0: <laughs> Can you answer a door? In a summer dressing gown, Jane, only, without revealing yourself. Well,
3: only if I've secured it extremely tightly. <laughs> uh, you do have to be careful, don't you? Because dressing gowns do have a habit of, well, maybe it's just me, just falling open when you answer the door to the delivery man. All <laughs> <It's laughs> like,
0: woman. Uh, oh, sorry. It's 2023. Or woman. Yeah. Yes. Nobody okay. needs to see that. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. So, okay. So a dressing gown is different to a house coat, which is different to a tabard. End
3: of. Yeah.
0: But do keep... No, actually, don't keep your emails coming
3: on this subject. Jane and Fee at Times... Oh, dot radio. It? That's it. I <laughs> totally forgot that. Jane and Fee at Times dot radio. Here's a quandary. Uh, it's from somebody we'll call Jay. We've got three honeybee hives at the end of a fairly large garden. Uh, sorry, that was just for fairly large. But the bees don't know which house they belong to. They're a bit like cats. They just don't have boundaries. Because it's warm, they've started swarming. And our neighbour came round and said, you should have told us you had bees. But The whole point is, they're not actually our bees, not that we're aware of. What do you think? <laughs> OK, sorry.
0: So what do you think? I, don't, I wasn't listening at all, because I was just reading the one about sex and plumbing.
3: Well, we'll get to that in a minute.
0: Sorry, here we go. We have 300 bees. <laughs> we used to sing for a bit. Boundaries, it's warm, no, so was to the, neighbor, so, you so you bees the whole around. point is, it is
3: tricky. If yes. you've got bees... They're not yours. You're not doing anything with them. Although, are bees can bees just be left alone to do their thing, or do they need to be farmed? Well, I think they just need to be hived, don't they? So who put in the hives? Who's looking after them? Are they just perfectly fine getting on with their busy bee work?
0: Well, if you've got a lot of bees uh, who are swarming around feeding themselves and then going back to the hive. I would find that a bit disconcerting, actually. Yes, but it's not this part. They didn't know they had... No, I know. Yeah. But but I would still think... If I I was going to put some beehives at the bottom of the garden, I would tell the neighbours.
3: I'd say ring the council. You won't get through, but at least it keeps you in the house on the phone to the council (laughs) uh, and away from your neighbour. So that's something. That's my earliest memory, actually, that, is reaching out on a brilliant, sunny afternoon... In my grandparents' back garden and stroking a particularly fat bee.
0: Stroking but, a bee? Yeah, well,
3: it turned out to be a mistake, let me tell you. Never known pain like it. it really was quite extraordinary, honestly. Um, it's immediate.
0: Do you think that would be the lasting message that you'd pass on to future generations? Don't stroke a bee, kids. It's,
3: yeah, be, absolutely, yes, definitely. OK. Um, say what you like about Jane, but she only stroked a bee once. She learnt a savage lesson.
0: Right, I always found it inexorably sad to learn that bees die after they've stung you, but wasps can sting you and just zoom off and oh, do it again. Little sods yeah, them. Yeah, because the bees make lovely things, don't they? I also feel really sorry for the bees of the modern world, because they can't possibly be doing all of that buzzing around and working really, really hard just so I can have a really good leg wax. What? Well, that's where the wax comes from, isn't it? And I think sometimes that's why the bee population is dying out, because they're just like, I don't mind making the honey, I don't mind making the candles, I really don't want to do the hot wax anymore. And I never wanted to be in hair removal. No, exactly. Gosh, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Uh, so this, uh, I was just trying to work out what this referred to. Um, I like Fee's analogy about a boiler service and my sex life, a jolly good going over, but I think it sounded as if I pay for it, this is a loving relationship. Is this the woman who contacted us to say that she just has a once-a-year... Kind of ding dong, and it satisfies all her needs. You know, the guy comes over and stays yes. the night, and they I have mean, a she's, lovely she's time. She seemed to
3: me to have an extraordinarily useful and effective um, set of circumstances. Yeah.
0: Anyway, she's got back in touch to say, "'He seems to care more for me than many people in my life. "'From year to year, he remembers everything I said to him "'on the previous visit.'" Well, that's very impressive. Mm -hmm. "'We met at work and he courted me assiduously for many months. "'And now if I appear before him by visiting my former place of work, "'the effect is magical.'" and more romantic than my husband of 37 years ever managed. I'm not a wild pleasure seeker. I live very near, near where Fee grew up. Well, <laughs> well, yes. that, well that says it all. <laughs> That'll knock it out of you, love. <laughs> <laughs> and spend most of my time gardening. P.S. Collective noun for buttocks is a bravado. I love that. A bravado of buttocks.
3: Oh, well, we've got another one on um, what do you call a collective... Um, What's the expression?
0: Collective noun.
3: Yes, what's the collective noun for buttocks? Uh, Caroline says, it's a brace of buttocks.
0: And Ooh, somebody would work. Yeah. Uh, on Twitter said it was a clench. Mm. I rather like that.
3: Yes, this is all because... Sorry, I've just had to pick a hair out of my mouth. That was really disgusting. Um, it was because I was mentioning... Everything is carpy. <laughs> well, it so is in the <laughs> podcast world, as we know. <laughs> Look, it's, it's life and it's being lived after a fashion um so jude law is playing henry the eighth in a new film it's called firebrand i don't know why because i think that's a really silly title for a film about henry the eighth firebrand have i got that right
0: well yes I And mean, i think just because you detailed so much of it yesterday it should be called ulcerous leg yeah oh god yes
3: um Why is it called? It's, yes, it's, anyway, look, who knows? And in a particular scene, apparently, you see his great wobbling, chunky buttockage, which um, the film critic was uh, imagining was very definitely prosthetics, because none of us want to think about Jude Law having a big bum. Right. Um, <laughs> hang on. <laughs> or, or do we? Um, now, actually, this is a really serious email, and we're still getting emails about Parkinson's. Thank you. I think Rory Kathleen-Jones, he spoke so brilliantly, didn't he, about the impact of Parkinson's. And um, thank you to everybody who's taken the time to email us on the subject. If you missed it on off-air, he was on... Thursday's edition, wasn't he? Last Thursday. Last Thursday's edition, yeah. Um, And his podcast is called Movers and Shakers. Um, This is from Anita who says, I'm 38 and I lost my mum to a rare form of Parkinson's called PSP uh, when I was just 31. It brought tears to my eyes when Rory talked about how often people thought that he was drunk. Uh, There were multiple occasions where my mum had been left lying in the street after suddenly losing her balance and no one would help her up. As her daughter who couldn't be with her all the time, the thought of her ever being in such a vulnerable position just broke me. I miss her terribly, and after having two beautiful children, including a daughter, without her by my side, I so wish I could tell her I get it now. Um, Anita, thank you, and um, I'm so sorry that you lost your mum when you were 31 and before you had your own children, because um, that must have been really tough. And it's cruel, isn't it? Uh, Parkinson's is really cruel. And the fact that people would just leave your mum to to sort of sort herself out when she fell over is is extremely sad. But um, thank you very much for telling us about her and the lovely relationship that you had with her. Mm.
0: So a friend of mine from way back who had MS uh, actually did get a T-shirt printed saying "I'm not drunk, I have multiple sclerosis," mm-hmm. for exactly the same reason that you know she had very very wobbly mobility, uh, which when you know, she first started to suffer from it, did just make her look like she was pissed. Right. And it must be so difficult because, you you know, you, you want to say to everybody who stares at you, <laughs> gives you that second look, you know, this is an illness. But at the same time, you don't want to have to tell everybody in the street. No. You know, what your business is, but mm. a T-shirt will do the trick.
3: Yeah, it will. And it's just, I mean, we, we all make judgments, don't we? Often very, very quickly about what we think is going on. And we're not always right. And I'm a fine one to talk because I do make judgments. Do you?
0: Yeah, I do. (laughs) No. I'm kind of known for it Okay. well I tell you what listeners you've got a treat in store for you well, in our interview today because yes. Jane almost had a ding dong no, with a guest. No I didn't have a ding dong with a guest but I,
3: let's just talk about it because it was yeah. um, it's Joe Nesbo um, hugely successful writer and I've got to be absolutely honest we don't always read all of the books that we're discussing on the programme because we'd literally we wouldn't be able to come into work if we read every single page of every book but often we do read every single word of a particular book um, but this Joe Nesbo's Killing moon did defeat me. Partly because, if I'm honest, I'm not a massive fan of Scandinoir. Have you read any of his before?
0: Yes. So I read The Snowman when I was a much, much younger woman. uh, And that was uh, the first book featuring Harry Hole, his detective. He's gone on to sell 55 million copies. And I think this is the 13th book in the series. And as a younger woman, I remember reading it and loving it and not hugely noticing Uh, The violence against women within it. And it is quite a meme in his books, although, as you'll hear in the interview, he's very keen to point out that the violence contained in his books is often meted out to men as well as to women. I will be really honest, Jane, as an older woman and uh, as a woman with a young adult daughter, old teenager. I am far more concerned about that depiction of women, young women, being harmed than I ever was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. I have a sensitivity to it that I can't get past, actually. So I find it incredibly difficult to read some authors who I really loved before because I suppose I know more about the world and I know more about... What might happen, and obviously, nobody wants that to happen to them or people that they love. And that might sound like a really kind of selfish, you know, a bit like when people say that they're affected by crime, you know, because of my daughter, and you just think, well, he should be affected by crime anyway. So Mm -hmm. I apologize for that. But it it, it is quite a striking thing in his books. And obviously, we talk about that in the interview with him. I was very interested, and you'll hear it in a couple of moments' time, about uh, the split in his readership, actually. Uh, I'd always assumed that it was largely uh, men who were reading his books. He says
3: definitely not, doesn't he? Yeah. But Because we've talked about this since, and I wonder, or we both wonder, whether it's simply that women read more than men, therefore, and they do, um, and they are as likely to read a book by a man as they are by a woman, whereas men, when they do read, are much more likely to read a man. Um, Anyway, complicated stuff. Uh, And he is, I mean, he probably is now
0: Norway's most successful ever writer. I was going to... I mean, he is absolutely he? is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think by a country mile. And, I mean, his books, you know, the crime writing genre, he's really nailed it. You know, they are fantastic stories that pull people in. There's always an inner circle of a story, and then there's the ripple effect. There's something happening quite often in a, you know, completely different area, country, continent. You know, they're really, really clever books. And, and I love so much of what he says about actually how he writes and why he writes so he is a fascinating person to have met uh, but yes the, you know we do definitely go there with the uh, violence against women should i read the formal cue yes please. so people know what a little people, more you know, about they it they want their money's worth here we go uh, so joe is a massive super selling crime writing sensation as i've just said 55 million <laughs> copies of his books Do make him Norway's most successful author of all time. Uh, Most of those books feature Harry Hole, who is a difficult, alcoholically compromised, but driven detective who often takes on cases where women are in peril and men are the cause of that. Now, Joe Nesbo is also a former football player. He was a stockbroker and is also lead singer in Dadera, which is a massively successful Norwegian rock band which is a massively successful Norwegian you rock You see, this is what happens when you do formal reading of for a script. Third time lucky. This... Come on, Fee. He's also lead singer in Dadera, a massively successful Norwegian rock band. He is man-juice in human form. His line. latest book is Killing Moon. So we started by asking him what has brought Harry Hole, his protagonist, to L.A., where he finds himself at the start of this novel.
2: Uh, it's, um, he's gone there to drink himself to death. That is the plan. And uh, so far, the plan is going quite well. Um, he's in a bar called uh, Creatures, where uh, the famous American writer uh, Charles Pukowski, uh also tried to drink himself to death, I think, uh, at least according to this story. And um, then uh, something happens. So he decides uh, to... Just Try to stay alive instead.
0: Mm. Uh, he is quite a damaged human being by this stage in his fictional life, isn't mm. he? For people who've never come across him before, how would you briefly describe that journey?
2: Oh, uh, I hate that question because I've been so I've, soon I've into I've the interview like ten thousand <laughs> pages <laughs> okay. to to, to explain who explain is. But okay, I'll try. Um, he's he's he, he's a um, in many ways he. Um, is the cliché hard-boiled detective. Um, so uh, you have one foot in the American hard-boiled detective uh, novel tradition, um, uh, hard-drinking, um, womanizing, um, guy who hates authorities and who likes to do it his way. Um, on the other hand, he has one foot in the Scandinavian crime fiction tradition also, Um always asking questions, um, you know, whether the system really works. Um, is there any point in punishing criminals? Uh, he, in many ways, feels more related to the criminals he is chasing than, uh, than his colleagues mm. at the police house. Um,
0: yeah. When you first met him in your imagination, what was that balance between him needing to have a kind of dark side to his own life and also needing to be the person through which the reader can always feel that mm. good is going to come, you know, justice will be found.
2: Mm. Actually, in the, in the reason why I chose to make him, to sort of use the cliches of the hard-boiled detective was that I, I had five weeks in which to write something. So I decided I'll try to write a crime novel. I had been asked by a publishing house uh, uh, based on the lyrics I wrote for the band, to write something for them. So I came up with this uh, uh, character, Harry Hole, who was... I, I, I took his name and his looks from um, a local police officer where, where my grandmother lived. And she always said that if you're not home and in bed by eight o'clock, then Hole Hole will come get you. So I um, so I imagined this kind of scary tall guy, and that is Hole. That is and I wanted him to be... Um, the camera lens for the for the readers. So um, I didn't really put that much work into the character in my first novel, I thought. Uh, but uh, in hindsight, it seems like mm. I did anyway. Um, but he has gradually, throughout the series, so now thirty novels, um, become the the focus, the center of the stories. So he has sort of uh, gone from being behind the camera to being in front of the camera.
0: I loved what you said in another interview about the way that your storytelling history and your family informed your ability to write. The fact that families tell the same stories Mm. over and over again is Mm. the kind of comfort of the story. It's absolutely at the heart of crime fiction, isn't it? That same template.
2: Definitely. I think that because, like, with family stories, you have this almost interactive process during... I mean, summer holidays and Christmas where the family gathers and you hear the old stories. You don't want to hear any new stories. You want to hear the old stories told in an even better way than it was told the last time. So you get to sort of analyze what makes a story work. It's not about the punchline. It's uh, it's uh, how to get there. And um, so I think that that feeling that you get when you have a good storyteller that tells you, you know, come sit closer because I have this great story to tell you and I know exactly where we're going. That's what I'm trying to achieve as a storyteller, to, to, uh, you know, do what my father and my uncles and my aunts did when we had, um, had our family holidays.
0: Do you ever shock yourself with what you managed to create on the page in terms of what happens, particularly to some of the women?
2: Um... I don't know if I'm shocked when it's on the page. I think uh when I um when I come up with the ideas I'm I'm sometimes scared and <laughs> and worried uh about you know how come you have these thoughts not only about uh, uh female uh, victims but any any victim and also the criminals the criminal minds I I think that probably scares me even more. Um but it's um then again, I think that there is no limit or fantasies. I mean, uh, there's no censorship when you're alone in bed at, at five o'clock in the morning, and you just wake up and you had this dream, and you keep working on that dream, and your your guard, your uh, moral guard, is down in a way, so you allow anything to happen uh, in your head. Mm.
0: Do you uh, do you ever? worry that for every man who reads a book like yours not necessarily yours where really nasty sexual crimes are committed against women Mm. for every man who thinks that is wrong this is fiction you know I can distance myself from it there is a man who thinks that's okay that's what happens to women
1: Mm.
2: well I think I would be more worried if crime fiction didn't reflect what is going on in this world. And uh, uh, violence towards women uh, is definitely a big problem. And if crime novels, fiction, ignore that, I would be more worried.
3: Except that um, statistically you're more likely to be a victim of murder if you're male.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's probably true. They had, well, it is I, true. I think they had, they, they, they had a, um, a survey of crime novels uh, in uh, Scandinavia uh, some years ago when uh, this was a uh, uh, hot topic. <laughs> and for some reason, it seemed that uh, 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 the statistics in fiction reflected the statistics in, uh, in the real world.
3: I don't think that's true. Uh, okay. it, I mean, I'm, in fact, I'm certain that certainly in Britain it's something like okay. 70, 70% of homicide victims, murder okay. victims are male. But no. I, I wonder whether um, that is... And, of course, they're killed by men. Mm. So I, I, on the whole, though not mm. always clearly, I just wonder whether there's just something in that makes us, as women, more likely to want to read about crimes committed against other women because that is our greatest fear. Do you think that mm. might be... Um, a sort of
2: appetite that you're
3: feeding. Uh, I don't know. I, um, Do you know how your readers so. break I... down? Are they overwhelmingly male, or fifty-fifty, or what is No, it? I
2: think there are. I, th- I would think that it's um, in Norway. I think eighty percent of the readers, between seventy and eighty percent of the readers, are are women. So um, I would think that there's a majority of female uh, readers. Uh, perhaps not eighty eighty percent twenty percent but uh, still uh, still a majority mm. Do you- but i don't i don 't really um have any ideas why anyone read my my novels my My novels are a universe uh, that I walk into it 's like inviting your readers to 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 come to where I am and to look at these uh moral dilemmas of the heroes and the victims and the murderers.
0: Do you ever want to be able to have more freedom to write a very happy resolution for Harry, which would not be a happy resolution for the publishers <laughs> and for your future readership? You know, you want to just wrap it all up for him. He's yeah. a man whose wife has been murdered. You know, he's, uh, he struggles with himself really, doesn't he? Mm. But can we have a, you know, sail off into the sunset and he opens a small bed and breakfast somewhere outside Oslo and lives happily ever
2: after? It's, it's kind of hard to imagine, right? <laughs> uh, but um, I wrote, when I wrote my third novel, I would write a long storyline of um, of uh, Harry's life uh, and his demise. Um, and, uh, of course, I can't reveal what is going to happen, but uh, there will be an end to the series and... Uh, but I can promise that when he's gone, he will not resurrect as uh, some other um, heroes in crime fiction.
0: Okay, so mm. d- he dies. Um,
2: well, yeah, maybe. Let's see. Okay, or yeah. he does open that
3: B mm. and <laughs> well,
0: I mean, that's a death for some people, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> the train is now approaching
1: junction at platform. Passengers please stay on board next stop road station
0: ios helps you control which
1: apps you share your exact location with there's more to iphone conditions apply. See site for details.
0: Joe Nesbo is our guest this afternoon. Killing Moon is his latest novel, This Killer Will Get Inside Your Head, dot, dot, dot. That's quite a literal tease, isn't it, Joe? <laughs>
2: yeah, good one.
0: Yes, because there's some scalping involved, isn't there? Yes, that? it is. Okay. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you know how to scalp People,
2: where
0: do you go for your research for something uh, like
2: that? Yeah. Who checks your search history? <laughs> yeah, <It's, laughs> I um, I try to um, to talk to people. To um, in this case, talk to doctors. You know what is um, what is possible, not w- what is likely necessarily, but can I get away with this or that? Uh, and so they give me a go or a no go. Uh, and and sometimes I I do. For for this book, I, I actually did more research on parasites. Um, it was a... Um, uh, somebody told me about this parasite that creeps inside the mouth of a fish mm-hmm. and attaches itself to the tongue and then squeezes the tongue uh, until the bloodstream stops and after a couple of weeks the tongue will fall off and then the the, the sea lice will attach itself and become the, uh, to the tongue stop and become the new tongue of the fish. Actually... A quite well-working uh, tongue, and I, c- I couldn't believe this when I heard it, so I googled it, and uh, there was a picture of uh, uh, of the mouth of a fish, and you can see the tongue had like uh, eyes and uh, antennas, <laughs> and that was, and it was, uh, I was fascinated by the but a sort of relationship between the parasite and the host. And so that became um, a theme in the, in the novel Kill yeah. the Moon.
0: Uh, how often do readers get in touch with you uh, to want to kind of be involved in the detail to say well I think you'll find actually that that particular maggot wouldn't be able to do that particular thing because that can happen can't it? Oh yeah
2: yeah and it has happened from time to time but uh, apart from uh, checking my research which I'm very happy that readers do I I try to stay away from from readers and not you know discuss my books uh, too much with them
0: Mm. So what happens when you go to a literary festival? I mean, you, you are a super away publishing sensation. So, mm. you know, we're seeing you here in London as part of a tour that you said was taking you all the way around the world. You know, there must be so many people who want to meet you. Do you find that actually quite difficult?
2: Um, as long as they want a f- signature and a picture and I, uh, when I'm on stage that they ask questions. But uh, what I mean by I don't, wanna get involved with my readers is that sometimes they will have wishes for what is going to happen with Harry and my main characters. And uh they hate when some of their favorite uh characters uh, suddenly are killed in the novel. And I um I sort I tend to 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 please want to please my readers and people in general. So I'm afraid I will get corrupted if I get too involved with my readers. I'm not like Charles Dickens who would you know uh publish one chapter at a time and then wait for for the feedback from the audience before he, he mm. would write yeah. the next chapter. Stay to sure. the
3: British Postal Service. He'd have been waiting a long time. Yeah, but also yeah. I was
0: going to say, if Charles Dickens existed in a time of Twitter and social media, yes. how mm. would he have fared? He'd have been cancelled. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He'd wouldn't he? Uh, George uh, says, uh, I came to Joe late now, read them all, and just finished The Leopard. That one's got some stuff in it, hasn't it? The Leopard. Mm. All the detail is superb. Uh, and Sarah in London simply wants to thank you for all of the hours of entertainment that you have given her on trade and the beach and given the state of the railways in this country that's probably quite a lot of hours (laughs) she may have read your entire back catalogue can i ask you something completely and utterly different Hmm. how safe do you think the nordic region is from russia
2: um not so safe i mean um i was in the in 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 the army or the actually the air force in the in, in the 70s and then at that time, late '70s, and at that time during the Cold War, it, it was a big worry. We, I mean, we in the north we have a border towards Russia, um, and um, also I uh, um, I've been asked this a lot because I um, I wrote a synopsis for a TV series called Occupied, uh, which was just before uh, Russia attacked uh, Ukraine, and it's about Russia occupying Norway in a not too far future. And uh, uh, it's. Um, I think that. Well, that story wasn't actually about Russia and politics. It was about being a, a country that's occupied to see what would how would our generation react compared to our grandparents during World War II when Norway also was, was occupied. Um, but it um, it was clearly easy to imagine Russia uh, occupying Norway back then, and it's even easier now.
0: Mm. Uh, It's an interesting uh, point to make, actually, just about the fact that Norway, and in this country, we have a similar thing where two generations have no experience of being directly threatened uh, by an external force. I would say that Norway might be doing better as a country than we are with that. It seems to have a contentment about it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it doesn't have such a polarisation of politics. Is that because it's simply wealthier? You've had the oil, you've got yeah. high taxes. Your public services are still good.
2: And I think, um, in many ways, maybe um, Norway's occupation during World War II was actually more peaceful uh, than than uh, uh, Britain being bombed by Germans during World War II. We didn't really have that. We didn't. We were occupied in nineteen forty, April nineteen forty, and after that, uh, although there've been made at least two movies about every sabotage done in Norway during those five years. Um, Nothing much really happened in Norway for those five years. Actually, life expectancy went up during the the war in Norway.
0: Good grief, you don't hear that very often.
2: No, that's really interesting. Yeah, and and, and actually there were more Russians that died uh, during the war in Norway Norway. than Norwegians.
3: Right, mm, that is interesting. Um, let's have another quick subject change because you played football. Um, you were a good player. Um, played up front for Mulder. Mm. Do you remember your best ever goal?
2: Uh, oh, there were so many. No, I, I, just be honest, <laughs> Joe. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I had a really important one when we um, actually that was for the junior team when we won uh, the national championship. Yeah.
3: What did you do, a mazy run, and then chip the goal? No, it,
2: it, it was a header. It was a header, and uh, uh, in hindsight, maybe the keeper should have um, got, got his it. hands on it. Yeah. yeah.
3: Okay. Uh, well, um, does that ever? When you mentioned waking up at five in the morning with some dark thoughts, do you ever revisit any of those open goals you missed?
2: Um, in my dreams, uh, my old coach. Uh, I'm now. Uh, 63 years old but I still dream that the coach is phoning me and saying we are having some trouble lots of injuries you still have your football shoes
0: that's Joe Nesbo we'd be interested to hear all of your thoughts Uh, especially if you are let's be honest about it if you're a woman who just absolutely loves reading the more macabre Mm. stuff in his books like I say as a younger woman I just didn't mind it at all Uh, the anxiety dreams uh, made me smile Actually, he, his being that his old football coach asks him if he's still got his football boots because there have been casualties on the team and he needs to get his ass down to the dressing room immediately. He's
3: 63 <laughs> and one of the world's best-selling authors and he's not really sure he wants to do it. What's
0: your anxiety? Oh,
3: I've just got so many. I mean, generally speaking, it's about missing... It's usually about connected to travel arrangements. Is it? I'm either running late, I'm in the wrong place, I don't have my passport. I mean, just guff. Um, but but really, I mean, I wake up clenching everything I've still got mm. left that's clenchable.
0: When I'm not having the one about having to fill air time, mm. which I do quite often. I don't have that one. <laughs> <laughs> I envy you that sister, so it 's always the clock in the studio uh, which has dots going up to the hour, which tick away yeah we 've got dots we've got studio dots. on the clock <laughs> so it 's always we've got seven minutes to fill we still get it wrong, but um and there 's nothing to go to, but my absolutely worst one, which I still get uh, you know many, many years into parenting, is that i 've just had a baby mm. and i 've left it on a cruise ship. <laughs> On a cruise ship, yeah, and the ship's gone off, and I'm on the I'm on the jetty.
3: That's easily done. Isn't it? <laughs> I've probably got a couple of nippers still bobbing around on the ocean blue somewhere. Um, can I just are, are they just, having unlimited food? Oh, probably of seven restaurants. Vegan? <laughs> yes, they'll be at the unlimited vegan buffet. Um, I just want I want to do a lovely one about a dog in a minute, but um, if people are looking for a TV show that isn't about murder, uh, Maryland because I've been, and it's got great reviews. I know it's in all the newspapers today. It's on the ITVX, um, and it's Sir Jones and Eve Best, I think is the other actress in it. Um, and it's it actually is about the body of a woman discovered, discovered on a beach, but she hasn't been murdered. Uh, and it's just what, it actually turns out to be a series about siblings and about sisters in particular and about families, So it's not what you think you're getting. So if you if you steered clear of it because you think it's another murder thing, it actually isn't, and it's brilliant. There we go. Right. um, This is from Ruth, who says um, that she loved hearing Rory. Kathleen Jones talking about Sophie from Romania. But I wonder if anyone has mentioned fostering for rescues, asks Ruth. I've had my own two rescue collie crosses for the last 14 years. And then after losing one, I thought I'd sign up for fostering, something I've wanted to do for a while but haven't quite been brave enough. I now have a beautiful, shy collie girl picture below. And look at that dog's face. Oh, it's a beauty. She is absolutely gorgeous. Um, she was booked in for euthanasia as an unwanted lockdown pet. God, people are stupid, aren't they? Anyway, the process of socialising her has been tricky but rewarding, and she's looking more cheerful and confident by the day. She's had some interest from potential adopters, so may soon be off to a permanent home. I'll miss her, but I'll be very happy to have helped her. The rescue I volunteer for is in Yorkshire. Uh, It's all foster based with no kennels. I know many rescues are desperate for new fosterers at the moment as the wave of unwanted young dogs, COVID impulse buys and cost of living victims is now hitting them and they're at full stretch. Perhaps one of your lovely, caring listeners would consider being a doggy fosterer. It's been a very positive experience for me. Um, There we go. Thank you so much for that, Ruth. Um, You never know, somebody listening might be able to do it. And I really do. That is truly a touching image of the dog that you're looking after at the moment. Lovely. Well, it is. It's just lovely. I know I'm cynical, but I'm not going to be
0: cynical about that. I find it very, very difficult to give the dog back if I'd done some fostering. I found it very difficult to give this dog back, I have yeah. to say.
3: Um but yes, yeah, she's absolutely
0: lovely. Um anyway, best of luck with that, Ruth. Hope it carries on going well for you. Two things to tell you about in Parish Notices. Oh yes. Uh, we are going to start a book club. More details on that over the coming weeks. It's going to be a slightly different book club, isn't it, Jan? Well, I hope it's not going to be more work. <laughs> No, darling, it's not. Not very much more work. We're going to take suggestions from the listeners rather than us tell the listeners what to read. And we've already got a suggestion, haven't we, which we're going to pursue. One of the French ones. Yes, one of the French ones. Uh, So that's going to happen. We hope you can join in with that. What was the other thing I was going to tell you about? Oh, uh, we've got an email special coming on Friday. So if you haven't had an email read out and uh, you are... Thinking that it deserves an airing, we're probably thinking the same thing too. We're going to record that tomorrow and pop it out on Friday. Something to look forward to. This. That's very formal. Uh, can I say? Very well done. Thank,
2: Thank you. Very
3: much. Right, uh, Jane and Fee at Times Good evening.
0: Good evening. I've got to sing now to Ian. Oh yeah. Go what, on. We, what would you like me to sing? Uh, well, he's a big disco fan, isn't he? Oh God. I was afraid I was petrified I kept thinking I'd live without can you, you by, my, by side. my side <laughs> uh, Get well soon <laughs> <laughs> Bank.
3: I know, ladies A lady listener. Mind, sorry.
1: The train is now approaching junction and platform passengers. Airport, please stay on board. Next stop road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone